Okay, what's happening, everybody? So I'm going to do something a little bit different today for uh, the Recovering Hypocrite podcast. And for those of you who are on Facebook, you know what that different thing is. And that is that I am recording this live on Facebook Live. Um, and the reason is, is I had an interview all ready to go for this week for the podcast, but I realized I wanted to do something about Easter. And so what happened was, um, I was reading through this, I've got this, uh, this book, it's called the, uh, the Harmony of the Gospels. And what it does is it takes the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and puts them in chronological order. And there's a couple of these out there that have different... Um, different viewpoints on some of the timelines and stuff like that. But I find that this one is pretty cool. Uh, it's the Thomas and Gundry version of it. And I've had this for years. And and so what happened is earlier in this week, I grabbed this um, and I wanted to just read about uh, the weeks leading up to Easter. And this wasn't for message prep or anything for Easter. I've already got that message written. Uh, excited about that, by the way. Um, so just make sure you check out an Easter service. But um, I, I wanted to just kind of read this for my own sake. And as I was reading the events leading up to Jesus's crucifixion, I was struck um, by how often there were events um, that were clear depictions of the grace of God. And a lot of times we think about the the cross of Christ and his resurrection and belief in him and kind of everything that happens post-Easter um, as being the grace of God stuff. But we don't think about the stuff that happened before Easter as being grace of God stuff. In fact, I was struck by how all of Jesus's life and ministry uh, was just infused with grace. And so what I want to do and this episode is a little different. I, I want to just talk about it. I, so I don't have an interview or anything for this week. I'll get back to the interviews next week. But I, I just want to walk through uh, the weeks leading up to Easter and just riff on just what I was thinking as I was studying this for my own <laughs> my own purposes earlier this week. And so for those of you on Facebook Live, um, I just thought I'd just throw up as a video. And uh, if you want to, you can just jump over to uh, noeljesse.com slash podcast. I'll put a link on here uh, for that uh, so that you can uh, download the podcast if you want to do it that way. Or if you're listening on the podcast and you want to watch the video, you can do the opposite. You can jump over to Facebook um, and find my Facebook page and you can watch the video of me going through this passage. So just decided I'd do something different as I was recording it since it was just going to be me and not an interview anyway. And so what I want to do is just kind of start um, with uh, Luke 7. And, and, and basically, Luke 7, what we've got is Jesus making his journey to Jerusalem. So we're kind of backtracking quite a bit a couple weeks before um, the, the, the Easter story. And I just want to start here, and I'm just going to work through some pictures of grace that I saw on these passages to kind of prepare our minds and hearts um, for the Easter uh, weekend that is coming up. So here we are in Holy Week. I figured it's a good time uh, to do that. So Luke 17, check this out. This is what says. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So just this remarkable story, Jesus runs into these 10 guys with leprosy. Now realize leprosy is this gross uh, skin disease where your nerve endings die, and so you kind of can't feel pains. So you end up uh, ripping your, your, your flesh to shreds. And so nobody was supposed to go near 
a, a leper and, and lepers had to stay away from people. They had to, to scream out that they were unclean when they were around people, all that kind of thing. And yet to these guys, they stood at a distance to be honoring of Jesus. And then they just yelled out, have pity on us. Um, and I don't know what they were expecting. If they were expecting a miracle, if they were expecting food or money or whatever, I don't know. But they basically they were wanting something. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And they were cleansed. Now, the remarkable part of the story is that one guy comes back and thanks Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, where's the other nine? And, and in a lot of ways, people can think of that as a passive-aggressive thing. Oh, why is Jesus trying to say, kind of wrestle thanks out of the other nine guys? But this is what struck me. Jesus, in his grace, and remember, grace is, in the most simple form, um, not getting uh, or, or getting something positive that you don't deserve. What he's done is he has healed 10 people, including nine, who are ungrateful. That's grace. He didn't just heal the one that was going to be uh, it, um, thankful to him. though. And, and Jesus knew the one that was going to rush back and, and talk to him and thank him and praise him and all that. He healed all of them. Let me just keep working my way through this passage. Just, I just kind of was marking some passages here. Oh, Luke 18. Uh, people were also bringing babies to Jesus to touch them. And when the disciples saw them, they rebuked them. And Jesus called the children to him and said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God uh, belongs to such as these. And so again, in, in that culture, the idea of adults interacting with children in that way was just unheard of. And yet here's Jesus saying, nope, bring the kids, come to me. That is grace in that story. Matthew 20 is, is one of my favorite parables that Jesus tells. And people don't um, talk about this parable nearly enough, but this is a parable that he is telling, remember, on his way to Jerusalem, on his way uh, to being crucified, on his way to the whole Easter story. This is what it says in Matthew 20. Um, now I'll just kind of skip through the parable so I don't read the whole thing, but it starts out with, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them a denarius for a day, and then he sent them to the vineyard. Now, when you read through the story, what happens is you see constantly people showing up um, all day long. So there's the people early in the morning, and then as the day progresses, this, this owner hires more and more and more and more and more workers all the way to the end. And so it says this, it says, when the evening came, uh, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. And the workers who were hired on the 11th hour came and each received how much? A denarius. So remember, at the beginning of the day, uh, the master had promised one denarius to every worker, and now he's paying the ones who came and just worked a little bit of time at the end of the day. He's paying, paying them a denarius. And so now you work your way backward, and he's now... So the guys who were paid at the beginning of the day or hired at the beginning of the day, they're like, wait a minute. Man, if these guys are getting a denarius, I'm going to get like a thousand denarius or something like that. And as everyone was paid, they realized everybody got the same reward. Now, this to us, it, it violates our, our sensibilities. But listen to what it says. It says, they began to grumble and, and said, these men were hired last. They worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the master answered them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? So, okay, so check this out. What a beautiful story. This is, think about this. So often we, especially those of us who are 
professional Christians or mature Christians. Um, we, we think of the grace of God as something we get more of, or we think about the, the, the pleasure of God and how pleased he is with us as something as we get more of as we, um, as we mature or as we do more Christian things um, for Jesus. But this story basically says he is going to pour out the same grace on all of us. This is what he's telling as he's working his way toward uh, his crucifixion. Matthew 20, the disciple, he basically says to his disciples, I am going to, we are going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and on the third day will be raised again. So now you'll see this is happening right in this timeline, right after he tells this story about the fact that he wants to pour out the same grace on anyone, no matter when they turn them, their steps over to him by faith. He starts moving toward uh, the cross and then even says to them when the ten, um, basically, um, he told them, uh, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Because there was this big fight. Uh, uh, two of the guys' mom got into this big fight with, uh, saying, hey, Jesus, would you let my boy sit on the right hand and left hand of you in, in when you, your kingdom comes and all this? And Jesus basically uh, rebukes them and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the high priests um, exercise authority of them, not so with you. Whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So again, he completely upends the structure. And what is he saying? He's talking again about grace. Then he runs into two blind men sitting on the road. And they, he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, we want our sight. And so he gave them their sight. And then there's all of these miracles. We've got the triumphant entry here. This is when Jesus is heading into Jerusalem um, for that last, that last week. And he's getting ready to head in Jerusalem. I'm trying to find this story right here. Um, where is it? I think I went past it. I'm turning too many pages. But basically, as Jesus is entering the story, it's that classic Palm Sunday story that a lot of you heard last week. This is what I'm struck by in the story. First of all, Jesus gets on a donkey, and a donkey is symbolic of a king coming in peace. That is the grace of God. So again, so what we've got here is he's not a king coming to, to conquer like everyone was expecting him to. He rode in on a donkey in peace. And then this is the striking verse for me. In Luke 19, verse 41, it says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? And that's him. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment against you and enter and circle you and hem you in on every side that will dash you to the ground and you and your children within your walls and they will not leave one stone on top of another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is him entering the city. And when it says he wept, that's the word clio. And clio is more than just a little tear rolling down your face. Clio is a deep, racking, just weeping kind of uh, of sobbing kind of prayer. Jesus's heart was broken. For whom? For the city that rejected him. For the, the Israelites, the children of Israel who rejected him. That is the grace of God. Even as he's entering and everyone else is celebrating, he's weeping because he knows this rejection of him is coming. And he's not crying because he's going to feel rejected. He's crying and weeping and sobbing because they are going to reject him, that they're going to miss out on the salvation that he 
offers. That's why Jesus was sobbing and sobbing. So he enters the city and, and I, I could just go through all of everything that happened um, in, in Jerusalem there and all the miracles and all the preaching that he did. But just let's look at a few things. Matthew 21 says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Again, we think that God loves good people who do good things, but the truth of the gospel of Jesus is this. He loves deep, wretched, horrible sinners who do horrible things that he can save by faith, by grace. We see this throughout the story again. I'm just going to keep flipping through because otherwise I'm going to talk about this all day. Um, uh, Yeah, we're just going to keep going here. Just kind of flipping through all of the gospel accounts. Um, so now, okay, here we go. Now let's just let's just go to the Last Supper. Let's just start at the Last Supper. Um, this is this is one of the most famous stories, but it is such a beautiful picture of grace. Listen to this, John thirteen. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now listen to this next phrase: Having loved his own who were in the world. He now showed them the full extent of his love. Now, now you, you have to grasp this. Uh, Jesus has already loved these guys. He has been with them for three years in ministry. He has preached. He has performed miracles. He has told them he's going to die on the cross. All this kind of stuff has happened. But now, in this moment, Jesus will show them the full extent of his love. And we know from 1 John that God is love and Jesus is God. So God, Jesus is love, which means that he's not just a good representation of love. He is love. He is the, the embodiment of love is who Jesus is. And in this moment, Jesus is about to show his guys the full extent of his love. Okay, grasp that. Now, let's see how that happens. It says this. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Okay, he is going to show who, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. One of his disciples here, um, Judas Iscariot, had decided he was going to betray Jesus. The, the devil had prompted that. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So in this moment, Jesus can do anything. Jesus has all authority. He has all power. He has, he has been given the opportunity to do what he will in this moment. So how does Jesus use this power in this last moment to show his disciples the full extent of his love? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? And, and Peter uh, and Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand, <laughs> which I love. Um, and, and Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. Uh, and Jesus answered, well, unless I wash you, notice he didn't say your feet. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. (laughs) 
And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, um, for he knew who was going to betray him and that uh, not everyone um, and why he said not everyone was clean. Now, now, now check this out. When Jesus washed their feet, it is it is more than just a, a little, you know, ticklish weirdness, which is what I would think about with washing feet. Um, think These guys wore sandals outside every day in the dust with the manure from horses, I don't know, squishing between their toes, whatever. I mean, feet are gross as they are in our culture. Feet were grosser then. I mean, just, just, I don't even know how long it takes to wash a person's foot. I mean, we, we just think about, oh man, a little ceremonial washing and a little scrubbing of a foot that's already clean. No, these are gross, gnarly feet. The rest of their body might be clean, but their feet has been in all that crap all day long. And Jesus sits down and moves from disciple to disciple to disciple to a disciple that betrayed him. And he loves them. He shows them the full extent of his love. That's grace. He poured out this grace. What an act of grace. Doing, giving someone something they don't deserve in a positive sense is what he did for all the disciples in that moment. I could just riff on that forever, but I'm not going to. Uh, let's keep going. John 13, uh, even the way he, he interacted with Judas here, he says, oh, what, do you, what you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus said. Uh, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this, and Judas was taken off to betray Jesus. And again, even that is an act of grace, because he could have just snapped his finger and Judas wouldn't have betrayed him. But if that had happened, we wouldn't even have the grace of God on our lives. Later on, he talks to Simon in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat because this is one of the things that Satan does. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, okay, check this out. Jesus says that your faith may not fail, but he knows that Peter is going to betray him. And so his praying that his faith would not fail means one of two things. Either God the Father said no to Jesus, um, because Peter's faith did fail, if you take that viewpoint, or that when Peter betrayed Jesus, it was not evidence that his faith had failed. And I think sometimes that's us. I think sometimes that is our response to the grace of God is to deny him even as he pours out his grace on us. And it doesn't show a lack of faith. It just, it's what we do. And so he says, Simon, I pray for all this. And, and Simon replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. We all know that story. He went on and broke the bread and said, this is my my body given for you. This is my blood that is spilled for you. It's a, a picture of the grace that was to come on the cross. And then there's the rest of the upper room discourse. And then Jesus heads out to the garden of Gethsemane with the guys. And one of the things that strikes me in that story is how much grace there is in this story. It's that story where Jesus shows his human side and he prays three times to God the Father, please, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Uh, and, and he's facing um, the cross. He's facing the weight of all the sins of all of humanity be crushed on him on the cross. He's facing being separated from God the Father for the first time in all of eternity, where God will turn his face away from him. And he says, is there any other way? Is there any other way? 
is there any other way but not my will, but thine be done, yours be done. And in the middle of that, angels even came and, and, and strengthened Jesus. And yet um, that strengthening didn't take away the temptation or the pain. And Jesus was prepared to go um, to the cross um, for us. Jesus then goes and is betrayed by Judas. And when people come to uh, arrest him, it says that Jesus uh, is in John 18, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you guys want? <laughs> he knew, but he wanted them to say it. They said, we want Jesus. And he said, I am he. That is an act of grace. Simon Peter got angry. This is John 8. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest. <laughs> Uh, servant cutting off his right ear. And Jesus commanded, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And in Luke 22, we see that Jesus healed the man's ear. So, so Jesus is healing the ear of the man who came to arrest him. That is grace. The high priests ran Jesus through a mock trial. And in Matthew 26, it says, they announced he is worthy of death, and then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? And you know that he knew, but he offered them something good that they didn't deserve, his silence. He went through trial after trial, eventually hanging on the cross, Peter denies him three times. The, the denial that Jesus had predicted in Luke 22, this is what it says. Peter replied to the final person who talked to him, man, I don't know what you're talking about. When that person said, certainly you follow Jesus, right? And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord looked and turned or turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord that was spoken to him uh, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Even that is an act of grace because Jesus had already prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. And I wonder in this moment if this was the deepest trial of Peter's faith that had ever happened. And God himself, through Jesus, was giving him grace, knowing that he was going to be failing him in that moment. Um, continuing on through the story, we've got... I'm not even sure where to go from here. Oh, let's go here. The soldiers mocking Jesus, they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head. Um, they spit on him, took the staff, struck him on his head again and again. And Jesus' response, Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Grace. I mean, if anyone deserved the wrath of God. It was the soldiers who were beating him and mocking him. And yet Jesus said, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And then hanging on the cross, one of the thieves turned to him and said to him, Jesus, remember when you remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's grace. And then Jesus looked down and he saw his mom. This is one of my favorite stories in the Easter story. He saw his mom and he saw John. And he said to his mom, woman, 
this is your son. And he said to John, dude, this is your mom. And basically he made sure that he was taking care of his mom in that moment. And on the cross, Jesus cried, Eli, Eli, lemisabachani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as God the Father turned away from Jesus in that moment? So here's the deal. Again, this is just me riffing on this passage. I am reading through this this week. I have been stunned again and again and again by the grace of God. And as you get prepared for Easter this weekend, whether you are someone uh, in the Lansing area who is part of the Riv family and you're going to come to one of our services this weekend or you're anywhere else in the world listening to this podcast or watching the Facebook Live, let me challenge you to deeply consider the grace of Jesus uh, going into this weekend. Um, You are a wretched, terrible sinner. (laughs) Your feet are as gross as those disciples' feet. You are as sick as a, a prostitute or as a tax collector. And yet when God looks at you, he looks at you with a, a smile and with love. And on the cross, Jesus poured out the full extent of his love for you when he died for your sins. It really happened. This is a, a historic fact. He was buried And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death, so that you can be with him in eternity. In fact, one of the final things that he said to his guys in that upper room was, "Um, uh, don't mourn for me. Uh, I am going to prepare a place for you, so don't freak out. Um, um, When I am done preparing this place for you, I will come back and get you. And one day, we all will be with him in glory. The ultimate act of grace is the one that we celebrate this weekend at Easter. So if you have a, if you don't have a church home, find a church this weekend, go celebrate with the people of God and meditate deeply on Jesus's grace for you. I love you. Happy Easter. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.